0: Please bow your heads for the prayer for illumination. Gracious God, as we kneel before your majesty, we pray that you would hear our heart's desire and respond to the requests of our lips. We want to hear the voice of your Son speaking through the scriptures, making us strong in his strength, making us wise in his wisdom, making us victorious in his victory, and giving us life in his life. One day, we know that you will also give us glory in his own glory. We trust in your unfailing love as we receive your word. In Christ's name, amen. Please open your Bibles to Revelation chapter 5. It is found on page 1236 of your Red Bibles. We'll begin with verse 5 and also read verses 8 to 12. So, page 1236. Then one of the elders said to me, Do not weep. See, the Lion of the tribe of Judah, the Root of David, has triumphed. He is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. And when he had taken it, the four living creatures and for twenty-four elders fell down before the Lamb. Each one had a harp, and they were holding golden bowls of, full of incense, which are the prayers of God's people. And they sang a new song, saying, You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain and with your blood you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God, and they will reign on the earth. Then I looked and heard the voice of many angels, numbering thousands upon thousands and 10,000 times 10,000. They encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders. In a loud voice they were saying, worthy is the lamb who was slain, to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength, and honor and glory and praise. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Book of Proverbs. And And let me invite you to take your bulletin insert, which has our Old Testament reading on it. Take that in hand and keep it nearby during our meditation this morning. This is what they call Christ the King Sunday, the last Sunday before Advent begins. And so it's fitting that we turn to the Proverbs that deal with kings. And especially this morning, we'll talk about what it's like to have the authority and the influence of a king. As we've been doing the last couple of weeks, why don't we read this together? It's got 12 paragraphs if you like. Um, I'll read these first four lines and you read the next chunk of verse and we'll go like that through the reading together, okay? So let's read God's word together. I'll start. Righteousness exalts a nation, but sin condemns any people. A king delights in a wise servant, but a shameful servant arouses his fury kings detest wrongdoing for a throne is established through righteousness when a king's face brightens it means life his favor is like a rain cloud in spring a king's rage is like the roar of a lion but his favor is like dew on the grass the righteous lead blameless lives blessed are their children after them When a king sits on his throne to judge, he winnows out all evil with his eyes. Love and faithfulness keep a king safe. Through love, his throne is made secure. In the Lord's hand, the king's heart is a stream of water that he channels toward all who please him. One who loves a pure heart and who speaks with grace will have the king for a friend. Remove the dross from the silver, and a silversmith can produce a vessel. Remove wicked officials from the king's presence, and his throne will be established through righteousness. A ruler who opposes the poor is like a driving rain that leaves no crops. The rich are wise in their own eyes. One who is poor and discerning sees how deluded they are. When the righteous triumph, there is great elation, but when the wicked rise to power, people go into hiding. If a king judges the poor with fairness, his throne will be established forever. When the wicked thrive, so does sin, but the righteous will see their downfall. And this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Power corrupts and absolute power corrupts absolutely. To err is human. Have you heard those two contemporary proverbs? Probably you have. Uh, The first one from Lord Acton and the other from Alexander Pope. How about this? Are they true? Power corrupts, absolute power, absolutely. To err is human. Are they true? Actually, this is our last sermon on Proverbs. So maybe it's time I finally tell you this important thing about the Proverbs as a genre. They are true, but they also depend on the situation for the impact of their truth. Do you know what I mean? They are sayings, wise sayings. Something happens, someone does something, someone observes that thing happen, and they say a proverb. And everybody nods, shakes their head, and says, yeah, so true, so true, right? Someone's power increases, and then they do something stupid and horrible, right? Power corrupts. Someone we respect makes a stupid mistake. To err is human, we say. And true enough, that's right, right? Proverbs are true in most situations. That's the way that they work, right? But let me go back to this. Does power corrupt everyone? Does every human fall and fail? In the Bible, power is not the bad guy. Power is not the problem. In fact, every human has been given power. Every person is made in the image of God. And part of that means that we are meant to reign and to rule, to fill the earth and to subdue it, to exercise power. We are, as funny as it sounds, in a democracy like we're in here. We are queens and kings under the king of kings. So the question is not, do you have power? The question is, how are you using your power? What are you doing with the power that you have? Power is a big category. We're going to shrink it down and just look at one aspect of power. And that is what we'll call influence, influence. And we're going to explore three things together from these Proverbs about influence. We'll talk about the enrichment of influence. We'll talk about the erosion of influence. And then finally, we'll talk about the Emmanuel of influence. The enrichment of influence, the erosion of influence, the Emmanuel of influence. So let's start with the enrichment of influence. So queens and kings, what is your influence? What is your power supposed to do? Well, it's supposed to enrich the soil of other people's lives so that they can have fruitful lives. Look at chapter 19 and verse 12 in our insert. When water is scarce and the soil is dry, what's your influence supposed to be like? It's supposed to be like dew in the morning that refreshes and enriches those around you. Or look down to our proverb from chapter 16 your face is meant to delight in goodness. And when you, a person with authority and power and influence, when you see other people with potential, people that are using their gifts, perhaps, your face is meant to brighten up, to light up with delight. You're meant to pour life-giving resources on them and be for them like a rain cloud in spring. Chapter 21 verse one says that from your heart into the lives of others, streams of refreshing and enriching water are meant to flow. Human beings receive and give, receive and give, receive and give. And when that happens, every one of us is nourished And enriched and can be fruitful as the water from heaven falls on us and it gives us everything we need to thrive and flourish it flows through us and into other people's lives around us nourishing them enriching them I have enough so I can pour myself through my influence into you so that you have enough so that you can then pour yourself into others who needs some dew who needs a springtime rain who needs who has fields that could use a little irrigation whose work can i encourage who could use an investment from me of time or money or resources or trust If you want to be really specific, you look around a room like this and you ask yourself, who are the two or three people that already seem to know me and like me and trust me a little bit? And maybe, could I possibly pour myself in and pour myself out to them so that they might be able to prosper and flourish? This is a glorious vision for humanity, isn't it? To be receivers and givers all in one fluid motion. This is how it was meant to be, isn't it? This is our calling from God as image bearers. This is our job as queens, as kings with great influence. The enrichment of influence, sadly though, This flow of influence has run into a giant dam, hasn't it? And as the waters of influence have been dammed up in our world, in our communities, in our churches, in our families, even in our hearts, all of us have ended up with dry fields. All of us have desperately needed the enriching influences of others in our lives. And that, that means that all of us, at one time or another, have been disappointed by people in our lives who clearly have the ability to enrich us with their influence, but they've not channeled some of their abundance in the direction of our great need. I imagine that in a room like this, some of us have been actually poor. Economically, you've faced poverty. And in that situation, you've looked around to those with wealth and influence, perhaps even in your own churches, and you've looked at them for help. But they didn't offer you dew in the morning or springtime rains or a stream of water flowing toward your need and instead their influence eroded the soil of your heart your life your work your potential maybe even chapter 28 verse 3 maybe even like a driving rain people with influence have hurt the fields of your heart and your life with their self-centeredness perhaps their influence has left you without soil, without water, without crops, without a chance to flourish. But even if you've never lived in economic poverty, you've still lived in need. And most of us have hoped for the enrichment influence from others, but we've been left dry and parched. And here's the thing, all of us, queens and kings in the image of God. We've all soaked up the enriching influence that we have received from outside of us, from others, ultimately from the Lord. And all of us have failed to take the resources that we've been given and channel them toward the dry soil of others' needs. And whether we've blasted them with harsh rain or whether we've left them to become deserts, we have not given the enriching influence that we've been given. Instead, we've caused erosion all around us. Listen, this is not meant to make you feel guilty uh, and you can't influence and enrich everyone. But there are people that you, that I, that we can influence. And many of them are actually sitting around you right now. And so doesn't it make us tremble to think the ways in which we have not allowed God's gifts to flow through us and into their lives. They have not been as fruitful as they were meant to be why because so many times you and i have not enriched them by our influence the way that we were meant to i've noticed that there's kind of two ways that people have learned the lord's prayer and you always know which one they learned because you get to the line about trespasses or debts and then you know what kind of church somebody went to growing up right Some of us grew up saying, forgive us our trespasses. That's what we say here. In other words, forgive us for how we have gone too far beyond where you've called us to do. We've trespassed, right? But others of us have grown up saying, forgive us our debts, our debts. In other words, forgive us for leaving so many good things which we've been called and commanded to do, undone. And both of these things are a big problem, right? Often, though, we only think of sin as, oh, we've done what we should not have done, we've trespassed. But in the Bible, sin is also failing to do what we must do. I'm a parent You don't have to tell me twice that my kids are indebted to me, right? They are, and they can never repay us. But when we're honest, there's a sense in which we are indebted to our children. Why? Because so many times we have failed to pour our influence into them in such a way that it enriches their lives, we've failed to do what we've been called to do. Too often we've beat against their fields with these blowing rains and we've left their potential eroded. There are many of you, there are many of us who have invested countless unpaid hours into the life of this congregation and other congregations as well. You've served your church. The church is therefore indebted to you, but are you perhaps indebted still to the church? Have you always had your eyes wide open? Are you always looking for dry land, the dry land of people's souls and spirits or their careers or their marriages or their homes? or their hopes and dreams? Are you always on the lookout for ways that you can channel your gifts and your resources toward them for their enrichment? Answer, no, none of us have been always on the lookout for that. And so we remain indebted to one another, to our sisters and brothers. Often the people around you are not the fruitful people that they were meant to be in part because you because i have kept most of the enrichment that we've enjoyed to ourselves the struggling people here have looked around wondering if anyone's face might chapter 16 verse 15 might turn toward them brighten and then bring life to them they've longed for springtime rains of of the communion of church people, of the saints. And many times they've just been left with a drought. And we can fool ourselves into thinking that we're great moms, dads, bosses, coworkers, church people. But chapter 28, verse 11, the people that have been left without what they need, they can see the reality They can see the truth. The people who are in our lives and in our church are here, folks, because they need us. And too often we are living for ourselves and not for them. And this is what the Bible calls unrighteousness. It's not just taking stuff that isn't ours, trespasses, but it's also failing to give something that wasn't yours to keep in the first place. Things like your influence. So we were meant to give away the enrichment of our influence. Instead, we've seen erosion happen in the wake of our influence. What else? We were made kings and queens. God's gifts and his goodness have flowed into our lives We're meant to channel God's good gifts into the lives of the people around us, our families, our colleagues, our church, to enrich them. Instead, each of us has been deprived of the enriching influence that we desperately need. And each of us has deprived other people of the influence that they desperately need. And we've seen erosion, the soil of our lives, our families, our teams, our neighborhoods, our marriages, our church is not enriched the way that it needs to be. And this is not the way that it's supposed to be. Look with me at Proverbs 14, verse 34. It's right at the top of our page. Righteousness exalts a nation, but sin condemns a people. Then down to the next block there, chapter 16, verse 12 says, a throne is established through righteousness and what we might ask the proverbs what ultimately allows queens and kings like us to flourish what ultimately allows people around us and in our sphere of influence to flourish chapter 20 verse 28 answer love and faithfulness Love and faithfulness. Through love, our throne is made secure. Through love, the things that we do, the influence that we pour out, lasts and matters. We were meant to reign, but we've all become failed queens and kings. So we need the Emmanuel of influence. And the good news is that the Lord Jesus has come to us, King of Kings, God with us, Emmanuel. And he's come and he's taken up our humanity and what it means to bear God's image. And he's come to reign on our behalf. And his reign has been a reign of love. And Jesus therefore exalts his nation through his own righteousness. And how does he do it? How does Jesus, our King, exalt his nation through righteousness? Two ways. One, Jesus, our Emmanuel of influence, he has lived a perfectly righteous life in our flesh. And that means so many things, but in our context, here's what it means the Lord Jesus has never missed an opportunity to pour himself into the others around him to whom he was called. He looked around and he saw the people that knew him and liked him and trusted him. And he said, these are my people and I will pour myself out to them. I'll give them all of the enriching influence that my father in heaven has given to me. And he looks around and he finds the parched ground of their lives and their experiences and of their hearts. He pours himself graciously onto them and into them. He channels his love and his grace toward needy people until their fields are no longer eroding, but rather enriched and flourishing. That's the first way he does it, living perfectly. But the second way that our Lord Jesus lifts up his nation by his own righteousness is not by being the perfect, awesome king, but actually by becoming parched and dry and eroded in our very flesh. The sin of his people, his nation, is condemned in Jesus, its true king. Chapter 28, verse 12 here. The wicked rise to power in Jerusalem 2,000 years ago and all of Jesus's friends and helpers go into hiding. At the cross even, God's own face is hidden from him. And the wicked rejoice and triumph in great elation. They think that they've won the day. Every real queen or king, God included, chapter 14, 34, would be angry at shameful servants and get rid of them. Every ruler worthy of their influence, look at chapter 20, verse 8 here, winnows out evil. Chapter 25, verse 5, every good king removes wicked officials from their presence. That's just what you do when you're king. Christ, our king, our Emmanuel, comes to us and instead of judging and condemning us, instead of winnowing us out as he could have, instead of taking the influence of his spirit from us, instead takes what? Takes our sin and is condemned instead of us. And then he turns and he pours streams of living water onto the parched eroded soil of our hearts and our lives. Jesus is the wise king who gets rid of evil, but he's also the gracious king who doesn't get rid of evil doers like us, but instead pours grace all over us until we are his most faithful servants. And friends, he still from his throne today pours himself into our lives by his Holy Spirit so that we can flourish, so that we then can channel his streams of mercy and grace and love, influencing and enriching the people around us. If you trust in Jesus the King, then you can be sure that he has taken away the guilt of your eroding influence on others. If you're trusting in Jesus Christ as King, you can know that he has lived a life of enriching influence on your behalf giving you more than you could ask or imagine. If you belong to King Jesus, our Emmanuel, then he intends to make you a flowing channel of his love and power to enrich the people, perhaps some of the ones sitting right around you, living around you, working around you. And if you are his, he will do this in you. And he will do it for you. And he will do it through you. And not just for a few years until you die, but in the resurrection and then forever and ever and ever. Human beings receive and give. It's just what we were made to do. Finally, look at chapter 29, verse 14 here. If a king judges the poor with fairness, his throne will be established forever. Well, our Lord Jesus has been way more than fair with us, hasn't he? He's drenched us with his kindness and love. And now he overflows from us to the people around us. And that's just the kind of king that he is. And his kingdom therefore is forever. Back to those Proverbs at the beginning, those contemporary ones from Acton and Pope, to err is human. Yeah, that's kind of been our experience, right? People around us blow it, we blow it. But here's the thing, it's not always true because our Lord Jesus was and still is fully human and he has done all things well. Power corrupts, right? And absolute power corrupts absolutely. Yeah. When we read our history books, when we turn on the television, when we look around even our church, when we look into our own hearts, we think, yeah, it's kind of true. But the Lord Jesus has all power, all authority in heaven and on earth. And instead of keeping it for himself, he channels it by his love and grace, until it enriches us and makes us to flourish. Folks, you have never seen a man like this. And you'll never hear of a God like this. This is the king that we've always wanted. This is the king that I want to invite you to serve, both now and for all eternity. He's worthy, as we read in Revelation to receive all blessing and honor and glory forever. Amen. Amen. Father in heaven, thank you for our Lord Jesus, the true king, the one we've always longed for, and the one we've never quite had, the one that we've never quite been able to be. We pray that we would bow before him, receiving all of his blessing, participating in his life and death until... We can also participate in his resurrection and the life of the world to come. Come quickly, Lord Jesus, and make all things new. Bring your influence to bear on our church and on our families and on our lives. And then finally, bring it to bear on the entire cosmos, all of creation, until you are all in all. And that will be the happiest days of our lives. We long for it and look for it, and we hope in it. Give us the faith to keep our eyes on King Jesus. We make our prayer together in his name. Amen.